here on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. You don't have to look too far in the modern day charismatic movement with all the word of faith and everything, all their, all their words that they're saying. You just scratch the surface. It's built around sensuality, built around sexual immorality, is built around a hunger and a greed for money. Wherever there's bad doctrine, there's bad behavior. So chapter one, as we read through this, you're going to see it, it, it expresses a need for godly leaders within the local church. So just exactly what is the letter of Titus all about? Well, that's the subject of our time today here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Welcome to our program today. If you'll join us, we are in Titus chapter 1, and that's where we'll start as we spend the next few weeks together taking a look at this marvelous pastoral epistle. Won't you join us from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City now once again, our teacher and pastor. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Well, as we turn our hearts to God's Word this morning, the letter, really, of of Titus, Paul to Titus, when you think of America, I don't know about you, but I think of it as a Christian nation. Um, There's been a lot of debate lately whether we want to still have that label, but it was true at the start of our nation anyway. It seems to me that no one would argue that we are still somewhat a Christian nation. And by that, I mean, basically, we still have the vestiges of American heritage in our constitution and laws, even though they don't acknowledge that. And so we have the roots there. But I have to tell you, in practice, we are thoroughly a pagan nation. Our country is thoroughly removed from the things of God. Over the past 40, 60 years, there's been a major shift in our country, just unbelievable. It's difficult to find movies that do not assume that sex outside the marriage is acceptable. I mean, back then, in those days, homosexuality was universally regarded as a sinful perversion. Even you can read in psychiatric journals, and they listed it as a deviant condition, which needed to be cured. If you were to say such thing today, be called judgmental, be called, probably be arrested. I mean, now we call it gay pride. Even in many churches, they do not regard homosexuality as a sin. To embrace them, they look at it as an alternative lifestyle. And if you dare to call it a sin, you're designated as a right-wing, radical, judgmental, born-again, crazy Christian. I, I think in our land, it will soon become a hate crime to say anything negative about homosexuality. And so when we look at the book of Titus, this little letter that Paul wrote to Titus, Overall, as we we're going to read through the entire letter this morning, it is a letter and it was meant to be read um, in one sitting. So we're going to do that. And you can follow along in your Bibles. But I want you to ask this question. How can we live as God's holy people in such a pagan society? How can we live as God's holy people in such a pagans, pagan society, a pagan world, a pagan country? And Paul's short letter to Titus addresses just this problem. You have to understand, sometime after his Roman imprisonment, before his second and final imprisonment, Paul visited Crete, and he visited with Titus. And he left him there to help resolve some of the problems that he saw in these small little struggling churches. And he wanted them to get a kind of a foothold in that pagan culture, because overwhelmingly the odds were against them to succeed as a church. 
Crete is an island. It's about 160 miles long, and it's between 7 and 35 miles wide. It's situated off the southern tip of of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. And the Cretan people, if you know anything about them historically, they uh, acquired a notorious bad reputation in the Roman world. They were just bad people. Uh, Paul cites one in, in, in verse 12, chapter 1, we'll read that. But he says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. He cites one of their own poets. And as he says that, I don't know if you've ever heard of the liar paradox, but the liar paradox basically concludes this. If the Cretan making the statement is telling the truth, then he is lying. <laughs> but if he's lying about Cretans, always lying, then Cretans don't always lie. See, Paul kind of used that tongue-in-cheek to, to bring to the surface their reputation. Uh, they were such notorious liars that in the Greek language, they coined a word, kredizo, which means to play the Cretan. And it, what it meant is, is kind of like you've heard the word to play the hypocrite. Well, this meant to play the liar. To be Cretan, you were just considered to lie. When you open your mouth, lies came out. And so you had the seed of the gospel somehow planted and sprouted in this very inhospitable Cretan soil. Cretans had been present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost where they heard the disciples speak in their language of the mighty deeds of God. We see that in Acts chapter 2 verse 11. And probably some of these Hellenistic Jews were converted when Peter preached and, and later went home to plant churches. But the Gentiles here, who got converted, they brought to the table some baggage. We all do, don't we? I mean, when we're saved, we, do, we, we, we come to Christ as we are. We repent of our sins. We turn from our sins. We trust in a Savior. And then God doesn't say, oh, wait, you're not good enough yet. No. He says, come as you are. I'll make you what you need to be. I'll impute on you the righteousness of Christ. Because you don't have any righteousness of your own. Amen. And so the Gentiles who got converted, they always brought a lot of baggage with them. And we all do that. We all have baggage. We have emotional baggage, physical baggage. We have all kinds of things going on. People don't even see sometimes. And as verse 11 indicates here, as we read through this, some of these Jews, these Hellenistic Jews, were promoting even false doctrine, which made for a very difficult situation for the new churches, specifically for Titus. And he had a very incredible track record of dealing with some of these difficult problems Titus did in Corinth. So Paul left him here in Crete to get the church kind of on solid ground, get him some solid footing. And he wrote this letter to him and to the churches, by the way. He wanted it read to the churches to basically give them some instruction on how to be the people of God in such a pagan culture, such a pagan society. And that's what I want to ask ourselves. How do we live as God's holy people in such a pagan culture? He gives us the answer, which is to be God's people in a pagan culture. We who are saved by God's grace must engage in good deeds under the authority of the local church. To be God's people in a pagan world, beloved, we who are saved, how are we saved? By God's grace. Grace alone, we have to, as saved people, be engaged in good deeds that, by the way, God tells us in his word has prepared for us beforehand to do. And we need to do that under the authority of the local church. See, some people 
They'll get saved by God's grace, and they engage in good deeds, but they don't go to any church. (laughs) Ah, church is filled with hypocrites. I don't go to church. And the reason they don't go to church is basically because they have an issue with authority, especially in a church. Be real frank. That's why some people, they'll go to a church for years. They'll never join a church. They'll never place their membership in the church. Why? They have an issue with authority, especially in the church. So those three strands of this statement recur throughout the book. One, salvation by grace. We see it over and over again. Number two, good deeds as a result of salvation. Not that you're saved by your good deeds. We're not saying that. But when you are saved, God is at work in you. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He's prepared beforehand good works for you to do. And then thirdly, the authority of the local church. Another strong theme throughout the book is one of sound doctrine, especially as it results in godly behavior. Usually where you find bad doctrine, you find bad behavior. If you dig deep enough, you find bad behavior. You don't have to look too far in the modern day charismatic movement with all the word of faith and everything, all their, all their words that they're saying. You just scratch the surface. It's built around sensuality, built around sexual immorality, is built around a hunger and a greed for money. Wherever there's bad doctrine, there's bad behavior. So chapter 1, as we read through this, you're going to see it, it, it expresses a need for godly leaders within the local church, especially their role in refuting false teachers. Chapter 2 stresses the importance of various groups within the church practicing good deeds in their daily lives, not just on Sunday, every day when you go to work, when you go to school, whatever, as a result of their salvation. In other words, letting your light shine before men, being the light, the salt of the world in which we live. And then chapter 3 focuses on the church's godly behavior in a world as a result of God's grace. See, we can't, we can't be good examples Outside of these four walls, if we go out there in the flesh and try to do it, get our little list of to-dos and not-to-dos and, and go out there and try to live some, you know, moral life, we have to live each day, Paul says, by the Spirit of God. He says, be continually filled, right, with the Spirit of God. Continually controlled, Ephesians tell us, tells us, by the Spirit of God. Don't carry out the deeds of the flesh. If you're, if you're controlled by the Spirit of God, you won't carry out the deeds of the flesh, Because we live in a fleshly society. We live in a pagan society. And so we need some footing, some some grounding upon which to live this life that he's called us to live. One thing you're going to notice is the flavor of this book is very practical. But in each chapter, there's incredible doctrine. Incredible doctrine. And even though this is one of Titus, is one of Paul's shortest letters that he wrote. It contains one of the longest introductions. Basically, verses 1 through 4 are a single, very difficult to to kind of diagram, to break up sentence. Just a run-on sentence. And all of the themes that he's going to deal with are found in the first four verses. Summed it right up for us, right out of the start here. All the themes are are dealt with right there in verses 1 through 4. I mean, maybe Paul intended for the churches to read this letter, not just Titus, because maybe he felt that it was necessary to spend more effort setting forth his own credentials and the nature of God's salvation, because that's what he does. Well, open your Bibles to Titus, and we're going to read through it. It's only going to take five, ten minutes. But I really believe that when we read it in its entirety, that helps us to see the Word of God in its context. So look, follow along with me. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, 
which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said this, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are purer. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Chapter 2. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded. Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying's trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I don't know about you, but when you read something like that in its entirety, it just brings right into your heart and into your mind what Paul is trying to communicate. And in the coming weeks, as we spend time kind of taking this little section by section and picking apart what we can glean from each part. It's important to understand that this is a letter that Paul wrote to Titus, but don't forget that it is the word of God. It is inerrant. It's divine. And so when we read it, it should, it should cause us to think about things. It causes us to remind us of things. I heard an illustration of a man and a wife who ran up to the pastor after the service and they were all excited, and, and they said, oh, we just went through the best weekend. We, we went to this, this special memory course, and the seminar showed us how we can use these word associations and all kinds of things, methods, to, to help us with our failing memory. I mean, it was just incredible. You know, you should really think about having something like that at the church. And uh, the pastor listened, and, and his husband was sharing. The, the wife sat there and just kind of nodded, nodded insistently as they described the different workshops and different seminars they attended over the weekend. 
And finally, the pastor had a chance, and he said, well, what was the, the teacher who led the seminar? What was his name? Maybe I know him. And the husband kind of looked at the pastor, and he finally kind of looked down and began to think, and it, the pastor could tell he's, he's using some of these things that he learned over the weekend to try to remember this man's name. Finally, he, he looked at the pastor, and he said, what, what, what's, the, uh, what's the name of that flower? Uh, they're, they're red, and they have little pink petals and thorns. Pastor kind of said, you know, a, a rose? Yeah, yeah. Rose. And he turns to his wife and says, what was the name of that teacher's? Now, I'm sure you've heard that before. It's just a silly story. But you know what? Sometimes we need to be reminded of things. Sometimes our methods for remembering things, even they fail. Sometimes our methods for trying to live the Christian life the way God called us to live it fails because there are methods. They're not God's. We set up certain rules and we devise certain systems on certain beliefs or practices only to discover in the end nothing works out as it was planned. We've all, after the first of the year, had some big crusade. Oh, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to have devotions every day. I'm going to do all this. And by week three, we're going, wow, what happened? (laughs) You know, I'm two weeks behind. And we're only in the third week. But see, when the test of truth comes, all strategies, all schemes fail. We need to base our, our strategies and our principles on the truth and designs of God rather than trying to come up with our own. And just as Paul wrote to Timothy before, Paul writes here to another pastor, Titus, and he's outlining the necessity for truth, something that's foreign in our, our modern day society. On occasion, I'll talk to somebody at the coffee house down there where I have coffee every morning and they'll get into a religious conversation and they'll say, well, you don't really believe that, do you? I said, it's the truth. Oh, I don't, I can't believe that. My God wouldn't. I said, well, you're not serving the true God. You're making a God up in your own mind to meet your needs. Let's go to God's truth. The Bible. Oh, you read the Bible too. You know, and they, they don't have any semblance of truth. And they don't have any tolerance for somebody that says they know the truth. And so there's a need here for Paul to inform Timothy that, you know what, there's a necessity for truth, number one. There's also a a necessity for strong biblical leadership. And there's a necessity for Christians to be called to live godly lives. And the essential nature of the church is made up of these believers. See, the problem with the churches today is not the fact that, you know what, they're, not, they're using some program that doesn't work. That's not the problem. The problem with a lot of churches is that they've so compromised their standards that they're a church of the world. The world has filled up their church. And so they've got all sorts of problems going on. And they try to handle them biblically, but the people aren't even open to that. So they kind of rebel and, and you got all this chaos going on. The church of Christ is to be made up of believers, beloved. That doesn't mean that we don't welcome unbelievers here to worship with us. We do. We always do. And we hope that you, you feel and you see the genuineness of our faith. We hope that you see the glory of Christ because he's the only one that can meet your need. We can't saw a thing on a sign of a church one time and said, the church that will meet your needs. (laughs) And I thought, how silly is that? I mean, Christ is the only one that can meet our needs. And Paul calls us to remain faithful to the fundamentals of the faith. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. 
It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.